just start. When you start out, your content's not going to be good. Like, I guarantee you. I don't care if you've been writing for 10, 20 years. I used to be a creative writer, but LinkedIn content creation is a whole different ballgame. When I started out, I look back at my content and I'm like, ugh. But at the same time, you have to go through those growing pains because you'll get better as you write more and more and more. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Morgan Young, content creator, public speaker, venture fellow, and computer science and engineering and entrepreneurship student. Morgan Young, in addition to all of those roles previously mentioned, is a self-development addict, a health nut, a co-founder of the budding UNR figure skating team, and an aspiring entrepreneur. Morgan discovered her passion for technology at the age of nine in her first robotics class. She has chased that passion since then through programs like Microsoft DigiGirls, UC Berkeley's Program Your Future, Girls Who Code, and Code with Clossy. Along with her passion for technology, she has gradually realized a passion for people. As an introvert turned extrovert, she fully realized her love of people during her first semester of college. Morgan is an extremely social creature and loves being able to help people. Morgan now pursues her passion for both people and technology through technical management roles. She has found that she enjoys being the bridge between people and the technology that they use. With that self-knowledge, her mission in life is to make people's lives a little easier or a little better by leveraging advancing technology. Some of the things Morgan is actively working on right now include building a community and partnering with brands to bring amazing experiences and resources to her audience, teaching students and colleagues how to leverage LinkedIn for their job search, and building their personal brand and creating content that covers early career tips, college student things, and Gen Zers in the workforce. Listen in for some great takeaways about how Morgan is using content and her platform to help her spend as much time in the areas she loves most, technology and people. This is one Gen Zer that will be making a huge impact. Well, I have the pleasure today of being with Morgan Young, who is a content creator, public speaker, venture fellow, and let's not forget, an entrepreneurship student. So welcome to the show, Morgan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I learned about you in full disclosure to our listeners on LinkedIn, but I don't want to ruin the story or your background. So I figured let's hear it in your own words. Can you share with our listeners, how did you get to where you are today? What's the 10,000th of you that got you to where you are today as a content creator, public speaker, and all this while you're in college? 
it kind of all started since I was a kid. So I study computer science, engineering, math, and entrepreneurship at school right now. And that kind of all started just from when I was like, I'd say like six or seven, I showed a really natural aptitude for math, but I didn't really want to be an accountant or an actuary. And I didn't know what finance was. So that was kind of out of the picture. And then I found coding and I realized that my brain worked in a pretty logical way. And so I was like, let's try this computing and coding thing. And my mom really encouraged it. So I did a lot of like extracurricular activities and programming and boot camps when I was between like sixth grade and 12th grade. And that's kind of what led to that. And then going from there being, I guess like being in college, like I never, I wanted to explore things and I wanted to try new things, but a lot of things that I did were unintentional. So like being a content creator and a speaker was actually It's intentional now, but it started out as a very unintentional thing. The way that I saw it, it wasn't really like content creation. And I hadn't even gotten into the speaking thing yet. It was really just, I wanted to share my journey and document the whole thing. So I didn't like forget it. It was a very wholesome start, but I didn't intend for any of what I have right now to happen. But obviously I've become more intentional with it as I've gone by. So I would say that bird's eye view, it's just being open to trying new things and when it's like when opportunity knocks, I just take it. And like whenever I see a good opportunity for myself, I never say no because of like self-doubt or anything like that. Like I've just taken every single opportunity that I've ever gotten to try and get further. And thus far, it's worked out for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you ended up where you were by accident. But ultimately, when you realized how beneficial it was to you, you just kind of double down on that as a result. Yeah, the thing that really resonated with me and how I found out about you was your LinkedIn post reflecting on your college selection process. And I want you to share that story with our listeners because that's something as a firm that's in wealth management, advising, we are in touch with families all the time that are going through the college selection process. And we sometimes or many times talk about it in terms of return on investment and looking at it from that perspective, as opposed to maybe going to the state that has the best football team or the state that has the most sunshine. And I I think sometimes some people get wrapped up in the wrong factors in that decision-making process. And I thought it was amazing how you broke down your decision-making process. I think that's right on and where things should be. So can you share that process with our listeners? Absolutely. So my college decision journey was a very long one. I remember I started looking at potential colleges that I wanted to go to when I was in seventh grade. And that's all because we went to a used book sale and my mom quite literally got an almanac of all of the colleges in the United States, every single one of them. Mind you, it's pretty old. It was like from like 2010 or 11 or 12. So it probably, I know like new schools have popped up since then, but it was pretty comprehensive of everything that, especially that was in my world purview at the time. So Ivy League schools, University of California, because I grew up in California. And I was primarily looking at University of California schools because when I was in seventh grade, going to school in California as a California resident 
made sense financially. Um, and that's why my parents were very encouraging of it as well. Because I think at that time, I think tuition at a UC school, like a middle of the road UC school, like Santa Barbara or Santa Cruz costs like, I think it was like eight to $12,000 a year, which wasn't ridiculous, especially because I was an in-state resident. But as I got older, you know, things changed. A lot happened between seventh grade and 12th grade for me. And the landscape of college admissions really changed. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I like watched the documentary Varsity Blues and that just changed. Like that was, that came out after the fact that came out after I'd gone to college, but that really kind of changed my perspective on things, but going backwards. So I kind of just like growing up in California, I thought I was just going to go to a university of California and that was going to be it. And like my dad, my parents were kind of in agreement with that because that was what made sense to them. My dad grew up in Minnesota. He went to the University of Minnesota. My mom grew up in the Bay Area and she ended up going to Sac State. It made sense to us. But then I don't know why or where this came into picture. I think it was because of my grandfather. It was his dream for like one of his grandkids to go to Stanford. And I visited the Stanford campus and I actually did like a camp there slash conference for five days when I was in 10th grade. And I really liked it, actually. I actually liked the Stanford campus. I thought it was beautiful. It was a really cool like time just to be there and a really cool experience. And I was like, you know what? I can see it. Like I'm going to apply to Stanford. Like I know it's like really difficult, but I think I can do it. And I was like, Just to like be a little bit introspective, I think I was really, I had a decent level of self-awareness, but not enough. And I really was kind of like kidding myself by like, I did not have the stats to do that. I was a good student for sure. I was above average. I was the top 1% of my high school class, but I still wasn't outstanding or exceptional. I look at kids now and see the things that they're doing as seniors and juniors in high school. And I'm like, that was not me. I don't know why I ever thought that was possible. But you know, a kid can dream. I applied to Stanford. And it's so funny, I actually posted this also on LinkedIn. But I had an article written about me by my school because of all the cool things that I was doing. And they were like, they like asked me like, where do you want to go to school? This was before decisions that came out. And I said, Stanford. And like, they even said that in the article. And by the time that article came out, decisions had come out and I didn't get in. And so I was like, well, that article did not age well. But then that kind of honestly like woke me up. So at that point I'd applied to four Ivy Leagues, Stanford, and four UC schools, and then the University of Washington. That Stanford decision kind of woke me up. And I was like, maybe I'm a little bit less self-aware than I thought. And maybe I need to reassess my decisions. Because like, I really didn't want to go to a community college. There's nothing wrong with community college. Like, honestly, I would recommend it for a lot of people. I did it in high school as a dual enrolled student. And it saved me so much money going to college. And it also gave me the room to add not one, but two minors to my degree because I had the room in my credits. But I really wanted to be independent. I was kind of like tired of like living at home. Like I was ready to be an adult and be on my own. So I'm like, I really want to go to a four-year college. Like, and I don't want to like not get in any school and then have no options. So I ended up like mass applying. Like I did a lot more research and I found out about this program called Western Undergrad Exchange. So I was like, okay, where can I realistically go to school my parents can kind of get on board with the cost and I can still get a good education. And Western undergrad exchange is like where if you're from California, you can go to school pretty much anywhere on the Western seaboard and get not like out of state tuition and not quite in state tuition, but like somewhere in the middle, those schools offered really good financial aid, merit-based, not need-based because I couldn't qualify for anything need-based. So that was kind of like the starting point. And then I had this list of like safety schools that I applied to and I got accepted to very quickly. Their turnaround was super quick. And then I had options. And then I got my two UC decisions back and I'd gotten into UC Santa Barbara and UC San Diego. It's kind of weird because after Stanford, UC San Diego was my number one choice. 
people were shocked that I didn't go to UC San Diego because I said that it was my number one after Stanford. And the reason I didn't go was because I didn't get accepted for my degree. And that was a deal breaker because I'm not, I was one of those kids. This was one of the things that I was confident about. I'm like, I'm not one of those kids. That's like, I don't know what I want to do when I go to college. I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I go to college. And I'm still studying that to this day. So I was right about that. And so I'm like, you know what? Let me just explore my other options. I want to pursue my degree, period. So with this list of these out-of-state schools that I found, UNR offered me a fantastic scholarship. It was an $8,000 a year scholarship. Plus, the school is very military-friendly. So my military benefits, I have an amazing VA advocate. VA is Veterans Affairs. And they found a loophole in my legislation that gave me my aid that enabled me to get in-state tuition. So effectively, I don't pay anything to go to school and neither do my parents, which was the most beautiful thing ever because I really wanted to be like my parents because both of my parents paid their own way through school. My mom worked during the day and went to school at night to get through school. My dad had the ROTC scholarship to go to school. That's still something that I'm really proud of is that I funded my entire education by myself, but I'm also one of those people. And I know that like, it's kind of one of those Gen Z things that a lot of older people like don't agree with, but I think student loans and student debt are one of the worst things a young adult can do to themselves because student loan like terms are so unfavorable to young people. The whole scholarship and the financial aid thing, it just really worked out. Plus it was kind of a bonus. I felt like that this school was like a good home for me, like the area and the culture would be a good home for me. And that was a good call because I don't think there's anywhere else I would have rather spent the last three years of my life. Amazing. Now, your dad is former military. He's a veteran? Yes. Well, thank him for his service. We greatly appreciate that. And I have to say, I think Stanford made a big mistake because I think you really knew and probably are wise, although there may be people who are better academic wise or doing bigger things at an earlier age. I think you're on a great path. And I love the way that you kind of work through that decision making process, because I think it's something that's typically stressful and very difficult for a teenager. And I think the biggest thing was that you were so cognizant of the financial aspect of it. It sounds like you credit much of that to your parents in terms of them not having to pay or being able to pay their own way, I should say, through their education and come out with no debt. Were there any other influences on you from a financial aspect that really played a role in your decision-making process behind the fact that you didn't want to have loans and things like that and you wanted to pay your own way? Was that simply from your parents or were there other motivating factors behind that? There were some other factors at play for sure. One of them actually, I'm really fortunate. Like I have a really supportive family. I wasn't just my parents, actually. My grandfather wanted to, he passed last October, but he wanted to pay for my school. And that's why like his whole thing was like Stanford. Cause he, my grandfather's dream was for me to go to Stanford and become a doctor. And sorry, grandpa, the doctor thing was never going to happen. <laughs> um, but that was his dream. This is your yeah, dream. <laughs> so he wanted to pay for my school. I was very thankful and grateful that he was willing to do that. I also felt like it wouldn't feel quite right because like I had some family members that did take him up on that offer and I felt like they didn't appreciate their education as much, nor did they feel as driven and as motivated as I have or as my parents I saw like were by having to pay for their own school. I think there is like, obviously it's great if your family can help support you in your journey for college and there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking that support. 
But I think that there is something very like you can take so much pride in being able to say like, I paid for my own education or I worked for my education. That's like one thing. The other thing was, is that this was so influential while I was making my college decisions. My mom, she said, I was taking classes at a community college. She said, you're going to take a personal finance class or you're not leaving the house. And I'm like, okay. I took this personal finance class and it turned me into a personal finance geek. I absolutely loved it. Like I learned really basic stuff, like what a mortgage was, what a stock was, what a financial instrument was, but I loved it. And I was just like, oh, this is so cool. And they also went over student loans in it as well. And that was kind of something that kind of influenced me. I did this class while I was making my college decision. So I would be lying if I said that that didn't have like a very heavy hand in how I thought. And another thing was, is like, I think my mom wanted to have me have some level of financial literacy because she gave me my very first personal finance book. It was a very simple. It's like a, it's like mostly like color and like super shiny, glossy pages when I was like 10 years old. And it was American Girls, A Smart Girl's Guide to Money. So I think that was kind of where it all started. But I would say that those things definitely had a big influence during that time. That's amazing. And again, I talk often about the fact that we can't rely on the educational system to provide that financial literacy component. So the fact that your parents, especially your mom, realized that and empowered you at such a young age is so important and valuable. And I agree with you. I think that one of the issues is people don't go through this process that you've gone through and end up taking out loans and having tremendous amount of debt, which they could have probably avoided had they put a little bit more time, effort, and energy into that process. So along those lines, if you had the ability to talk to hundreds, thousands, millions of families out there who are going to be approaching or going through the college planning process, what tips do you have for them? to help them navigate that process, to put them in a position similar to where you are, where you're getting a degree, you're in your ideal location, not a lot of debt, if any, coming out of your studies. What what tips do you have for them? Number one is if your your current institution allows it, do community college classes in high school instead of AP because my school didn't offer AP. That's why I did community college classes. But the beauty of that is in most states, especially California, you can take your first two years of community college classes for free. Obviously, you have to pay for textbooks and stuff, but the tuition itself is waived. That's even more emphasized for high school students that are doing the dual enrollment thing. The other thing is, is that AP credits sometimes don't transfer, especially if you're going to college in a different state. That is a huge deal. And for me, I didn't have that issue because I was taking a college credited class at an accredited school. So I had no issues with my credits transferring. So that's number one. You can save a lot of money by doing community college classes in high school. Plus, I think it's actually like a really good transition because high school students will learn the pick because college is definitely more fast paced than high school. So by doing those classes in while you're in high school, it'll kind of help you get used to that pace. So that's number one. The second thing is, is think outside of the box because like my parents even said that most of my college admissions journey was really me figuring it out. Because they didn't know what else to tell me. They were like, we just went to the school down the street. It was $400 in tuition a semester. We could work it off. Like, it made sense. So we can't really tell you much beyond what we know. Like, we don't know what we don't know. So think out of the box. Don't just think about, like, in-state tuition. Because there are, are actually several programs similar to the one that I found, Western Undergrad Exchange. There's similar counterparts in, across, like, the whole country. So you'll be able, you can go, like, explore schools outside of your state, and go to school in a different state based on those programs. 
The other thing to look at is financial aid. The barrier for like need-based financial aid is really low. So I would say that like most of either middle class or upper middle class, which is where I was, you're probably not going to qualify for need-based aid. That's okay. You'll be able to find like merit-based aid. So like, even though I know a lot of kids, they don't require like the ACT and the SAT anymore, just do it anyway, study and take the test because those will really help you get and qualify for those merit-based scholarships. Purely the reason that I got the scholarship that I did was because I had a 3.9 unweighted, a 4.4 weighted, and a 32 ACT. Mind you, this was like right before COVID. So I got lucky that I got to take my ACT before COVID. So that's what qualified me for all the merit-based scholarships that I got. And the one that I got from UNR wasn't the only one that I got. I was also offered the New American President's Award from ASU, the Chancellor Scholarship from CU Boulder, and a few other scholarships from other schools. And they were all purely merit-based. So they didn't even bother asking my income because they were all merit-based. And you'll be able to find that just by looking out of the box. So if you, for example, live in a state like California, they don't give out a lot of merit-based scholarships. And the ones that they do are like super, super high-level requirements. Like I know one person that got the Regent Scholarship for UC San Diego that was specifically for computer science. And he had a 36 ACT and a 4.0 unweighted. And I, I don't remember what his, his weighted was, but it was he had really high stats. So if you don't have those stats, like I didn't, then you'll still be able to find those scholarships. You just have to really think outside of the box. The third thing is dedicate a lot of time to finding niche scholarships. I've not won like a single like big national scholarship. I like applied for like the Taco Bell, like the Live Moss scholarship, like the big national ones. I have yet to win any of those. All of the scholarships that I've won, and I have won a lot, are like super niche scholarships. So like one of the scholarships that I won was from a company that was like local to where I used to live. And it was like a national scholarship, but it's like, they don't advertise it very well. And it is pretty niche, which is you have to like be an undergrad and you have to be in a CS related major. And you had to like write all these, like you had to write essays and stuff to get it. I also like won a scholarship from my swim team. I won a scholarship from like the local association of realtors for like a high achiever. They add up. Yeah. And that was like two grand here, one grand here, two grand here. And all of a sudden it stacks up. And I think I probably won like just over like 30,000 in third party scholarships. So like those were scholarships that were regardless of like what school I went to, I could apply them anywhere. And that's been huge for me because graduating debt free, uh, at least I will be next year. So those are my three things. Community college, take community college classes in high school. Second thing is look outside of your box or your geographical box. And number three is spend a lot of time researching and putting time towards scholarship applications. I will say that it's exhausting. I literally wrote 63 essays my senior year of high school just applying to scholarships. And that was exhausting, but it paid off. Right. I think those are great tips, and I think that there's a lot of tangible takeaways there. Now, I'll shift gears for a minute here. How have you crafted your space or a space as a content creator? I know you said it kind of came by accident, but you also were able to recognize it, double down on it. How have you gone about doing that? When I started out, it was really just because I felt like I had done something not exceptional, but something worth noting. And that was that I had come from a non-target school and managed to land an F-100 internship right after my freshman year. Like I even talked to people afterwards about it and they were like, that is unheard of. And so that was like, okay, this is something I did that's really cool. I want to document it. 
And my first thought was, let me journal. And then I was like, if I journal and no one's keeping me accountable, I'm going to fall off within like a week. This is not going to work. So I essentially heard this, this saying about LinkedIn being a way to like journal in public about your job. So I was like, I'll do that because it'll keep me accountable. Like, and at the time I had no following. I literally just thought to myself, I have some friends on LinkedIn. My uncle and my dad are on LinkedIn and my aunt's on LinkedIn. Like if they read my stuff and you know, this will be like my way of like updating my family and my friends. But it's also just my way of like remembering like, hey, on day three of my first internship, I learned this on one of the coolest pieces of content I put out that summer was, it was like day, oh my God, hundred and something but I got to have a one-on-one with our CIO and that's at the Walt Disney company. So I got to have a coffee chat with the CIO of Disney and that was a huge deal. And so of course I'm like, I have to document this. I don't want to forget this. So that's really how it started out was just documenting my work life. And like, cause it was my first ever big girl job. It was my first internship. And then I think by the end of the summer, I was getting so much engagement and so many views for someone that had such a small following I was racking up hundreds of thousands of views. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then I kind of became familiar with the concept of a LinkedIn content creator, which I never thought were two words or two phrases that I would ever hear in the same sentence. But I just kind of ran with it. I was like, I like this. This is like, I'm used to this. I'm good at this. Let me keep running with it. And I kept running with it. And it took me a while because like, after like, you know, Who am I other than being a Disney intern? So it took me a while to kind of figure out what direction I wanted to take with being a content creator. But I would say the journey went like this. It was like 2021. I started out. I was trying it. I was experimenting. And then by the end of 2021, I realized that I had something special. 2022, I really decided like, okay, like intentionally, consciously, I am going to put a lot of effort into becoming a full-fledged content creator. There's a lot to be said about intention, even though it started out unintentionally, because by the end of 2022, I had grown my following by 667%, and I'd been featured in LinkedIn News over 28 times. So that was kind of how like the journey, like in the milestones of how I created a space as a content creator. We have a lot of entrepreneurs, people that are actively engaged on LinkedIn, as well as other social media channels. But let's just focus in on LinkedIn for a minute. What tips would you have for somebody or a company or a business or a want-to-be content creator to grow their LinkedIn presence or reach? What tips can you provide for them? Number one is just pick like one thing to start off on. My one thing when I started off was just being a Disney intern. It wasn't complicated because... I was living it. So I would literally just write about each day. And that made content creation very simple. I didn't have to think about it too much. There was no strategy. There was no none of that. It was literally just, okay, what did I do today as a Disney intern? It's a very simple prompt. It made it very easy to just start. And that leads me to my second point, which is just start. When you start out, your content's not going to be good. Like I guarantee you. I don't care if you've been writing for 10, 20 years. I used to be a creative writer, but LinkedIn content creation is a whole different ballgame. When I started out, I look back at my content and I'm like, ugh. But at the same time, you have to go through those growing pains because you'll get better as you write more and more and more. And I have to say, like, that's another thing is like, oh, that leads me to my next point. Write often, frequently, and consistently. I feel like I've gotten better at content creation just sheerly because I've been doing it for two years. 
I write all of my stuff on Grammarly and it gives me a weekly count of how many words I've written. I write an average of 10,000 words a week, which blew my mind. But it also kind of explains why I've gotten better at this because I do it so much and I do it so consistently. So just to recap what I said, focus on one thing, just start as soon as you can and write often, frequently and consistently. And I mean, as far as like an aside of that is if you're like an executive, because I know that this is a thing. I just learned that this is a thing. If you're an executive that doesn't like have the time to do it, but you want to like grow your personal brand, but like you already kind of like have a brand because of like who you are, like a good example would be like, if you're an executive of like an F100, you kind of already like have a brand, but like you haven't really put effort into growing it. I know a lot of executives hire ghostwriters because they just don't have the time to do it. I'm actually starting to get into ghostwriting. But that's kind of something you can do if that's not something you have the time for is just hire a ghostwriter. Next thing I would get into is consistency is there's this saying, if content is king, consistency is queen. And that is so true with any social media, but especially with LinkedIn. I cannot emphasize how much the LinkedIn algorithm will reward you for consistency. And it doesn't matter how often it is when you start out. So if you think that once a week on Wednesdays is what you can sustain, that's better than like sporadically. Just find a pace that you can sustain and stick to it. If you want to like increase slowly over time, you can do that. But just pick a pace that you can sustain. My last thing, and this is just something that people forget is that LinkedIn is all about community and conversations. So people forget that like they create all this content and then they forget to engage because it's all about engaging with your community. A couple ways you can do that. Again, algorithm. When you post, I've like heard this. I can't confirm this, but like from my experimentation, I can confirm it. If people comment on your post within like the first 30 minutes of being out there, respond right away, react to their comment, respond to their comment. After that, it plays like less, but you should still be responding to comments on your own posts because again, it's about starting a conversation and then engage with posts that you see on your home feed. Not to say that you have to engage with everything, but just stuff that you think is interesting. Or like if your friend got a job, like say congratulations, you know, engage with the community. And the other thing is like, this is going to be like my last thing because it's like my favorite tip. Don't be afraid of being just a tad controversial because I don't even call it controversial anymore. I call it conversation provoking or dialogue provoking because I've had these like crazy posts. First of all, some of them I didn't even realize were controversial. I'm not saying be controversial for the sake of being controversial, but take a stand on something. So one of the things that I talked about was salary transparency. And I knew that that was going to be controversial, but LinkedIn kind of rewards you for starting a conversation. And boy, did that post start a conversation. So there was that. And then there was some things that I don't even think are controversial. Like I made a post about keywords to use for your resume. And I got over, I think like 250 comments on it. And the post itself hit over 180,000 views. Again, did not think that was controversial at all, but it started a conversation. And that is what LinkedIn is all about. So those are kind of my tips for starting out. Amazing stuff. So you've had the opportunity, you mentioned it earlier, to experience some iconic brands. You mentioned Disney earlier, but I also know you've interacted with the Wall Street Journal and also LinkedIn directly. How did you go about securing those opportunities? And what were some takeaways from being able to be ingrained in some of those iconic names? It's crazy because like each one kind of led to the other. I'll start with the simplest one, which was Disney. There was nothing special about that. I cold applied on the website, the Disney Careers website. 
I guess my resume was good enough to make it past their screening system. And I guess I stood out enough that my boss wanted to hire me. So that was like just a normal like job application. And that's something I want to emphasize is that cold applying does still work. I did not have a referral. I didn't have anything special. I literally just cold applied. That was it. So that's how I got into Disney. But then as far as making the most of it while you're there. So I started creating content about being a Disney intern. That in and of itself First of all, people ask me, how did you get your boss and your leadership to agree to you doing that? And I was like, well, I was kind of the mindset. I was like 18 and brand new. And I was kind of like, I would rather ask for forgiveness later than ask for permission, which is not what you should do depending on the industry. But I will say that by the time I got noticed for the content that I was creating, I was doing so well and I was doing so good for the brand that they were like, don't stop, keep going. Actually, in my first year performance eval, my boss told me, like he commended me for my content creation because he said that I was representing the brand well and I was a great ambassador for the Disney intern program, which is not like an official role or anything. It's just something I kind of like slid myself into. And from my content, they really liked the way that I communicated and the way that I represented the brand. So they asked me to start speaking at events. They invited me to become a member of the Disney Tech Influencer Advocate and Outreach Program. It was a very long title. And that was essentially they wanted me to start repping the intern program at coffee houses, conferences, workshops, stuff like that. And all of that was kind of what kickstarted my public speaking career. But then that kind of also like contributed to I got picked up by the LinkedIn for Creators Program I think in 2022, so a year after I'd started creating content. And that was just because I caught the attention. So normally you actually have to apply for the LinkedIn for Creators program, but I had caught the attention of a group PM at LinkedIn and he really liked my content. And he said, like, I was expressing some frustration about my growth plateauing and not knowing where to go. And he said, I want to introduce you to a creator manager. And By doing so, he inducted me into the creators program. And that was purely just because my content resonated with him. It caught his attention. So that was very much like a kind of by chance, but also like I kind of created that opportunity for myself. So that's how I kind of got to interface directly with LinkedIn is by getting into the LinkedIn for creators program. And then again, from LinkedIn content creation, I had started creating some videos. I can't remember for what, but basically like I started differentiating my content a little bit before it was like purely written stuff and some graphics, but then I started making videos and it caught the attention of a production coordinator for a company that was creating the Wall Street Journal's new Snapchat show called Future View. And basically my summation of that is that the Wall Street Journal was trying to like capture the Gen Z audience because what Gen Z reads the Wall Street Journal, like what Gen Z reads a physical paper. So this show was kind of their attempt to capture Gen Z audience. And they wanted Gen Zers to be in the show. And my content caught the producer's attention. And I submitted like one or two and it just took off. Because my producer freaking loved me. She was like, the production team loves you. Like, you have such a great voice for camera. Like, can you keep doing this? And I was like, sure. So I ended up being in like over 10 episodes of season one, which was absolutely crazy. But again, that's just one of those opportunities that came from having content on LinkedIn. And I've gotten several more opportunities from LinkedIn. But those are kind of just like the highlights of how I got exposure and how I got to interact with those brands. Yeah, really luck by design, in my opinion. You kind of created your own luck by doing that. So before we go to our last question, I have to ask you this. How did you like your time in New York City? 
I loved it. I'm contemplating moving there after college because like, first of all, I was a little worried because I had never been to New York before, like ever. And so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this. It's very different than what I'm used to. I grew up in a very small suburb in Northern California. And then obviously I spent some time in the Bay Area. Didn't really like the Bay Area. So I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about New York, but I loved it. And even just like, I think like my second day there or my first day there, my friend took me on the subway and I was like scared because I'd never ridden the subway before. By the next day, it felt like natural. It felt like second nature. Like I'd been doing it all my life. I love the culture there. I actually love the people, which is shocking. Some people are like, you love the people. I'm like, I either love them or hate them. I'm a workaholic and I'm really ambitious. And so I found a lot of people that are like that there. And that's something that I really liked. And I felt like I was having super valuable conversations every single day, which was crazy. So I love New York. I'm contemplating moving there after college. I think there's a lot of opportunity for me there, both as a technologist and as a creator. Plus another influencing factor, my boyfriend works in finance and he wants some upward mobility in his career as well. So he's also looking at moving his career over there. So definitely really liked it. Probably going to be going back later this year for some like New York Tech Week or like some other conferences, but I loved it. Well, we're glad we're on the short list. So we appreciate that, Morgan. I've enjoyed our time. We've had a lot of tangible takeaways. And as you know, we ask each of our guests all the same last final question, which is because we're all about joy here on the Midland Money Mindset. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I would say two things. It's an experience and a learning. The experience was I battled depression for four years as a teenager. And I don't wish that upon anyone. Like it's a really crappy thing to go through, especially as a teenager. Like it's so rough, especially touching on the nuance of being Asian American. It's not something you really talk about. I didn't have like a guidance counselor or a therapist. I didn't even go to church. So I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And I barely like made it through that. But at the same time, having recovered on my own without anyone's help, not that I recommend that, like everyone should get help, but having made it through that and having made it through that by myself, I learned something really important or a couple things that are really important. Number one was that when, if I wake up, if I can't find a single thing to be grateful for, I can always be grateful for life itself because there was once a time where I might not have had another day of life. So that's like, number one is just like an insane mindset of gratitude because when you're grateful for things, you'll find yourself wanting less. Not to say that that'll make you complacent or like less ambitious because definitely hasn't made me less ambitious. It's more of just like, it's made me appreciate the journey as it comes. The second thing is always analyze your motives for doing things. Motives and intention are so important. And people ask me how I don't burn out. Well, the truth is I do burn out sometimes. But the reason I like, I don't ever run out of gas is because I'm constantly like every two weeks to month to three months, I ask myself, why am I doing this thing that I'm doing that I'm putting a lot of time into? And if I cannot find a good reason that I'm doing it, that I'm doing it for the right reasons, I stop doing it. And I also ask myself that question whenever I'm going to take on something new. If I'm like, you know, this thing is in front of me, am I going to do it for the right reasons? And if the answer is yes, then I do it. If it's no, then I say no. And it's important to reassess that as well, because sometimes things change, circumstances change, your motivations change. But I think that the reason I'm as happy as I am is because I know that everything I'm doing, I'm doing for the right reasons. And I can take pride in that. Plus, I get to do things that I'm passionate about. 
every day. That's kind of what that's led to is that everything that I do, I'm passionate about. So I think that's what's really brought me joy and put me in the right mindset for success. Great. And thank you for sharing your own personal struggles, because as somebody who myself is very involved in the mental health space, I sat on the national board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for about 14 years, lost my brother-in-law about 19 years ago. Having conversations like that and being open and honest like you are is just simply going to make it easier for those that come after you and those that are ahead of you to have those conversations as well and seek help if and when they need it and get the healing that they needed. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with us. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, Morgan, we're going to have all of your contact information in the show notes, but if people want to learn more about you, connect with you, see the content you're creating, what's the easiest and best place for them to do that? And I think I might know the answer, but I'll ask you anyway. Just one place, my LinkedIn. You can find my contact info, like my email, my birthday, and all that stuff, and even my other socials from my LinkedIn profile. You can also find ways to like get in touch with me, like if you're interested in working with me, or if you just want to talk. Again, all that information is on my LinkedIn. And of course, all of my content is on LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn URL, I believe is going to be included in the info, but it's super easy. It's literally just like linkedin.com slash in slash Morgan dash a dash young. So super simple, easy to remember. But that's if you want to get in touch with me, read my content or find a way to work with me. That's the easiest way to do it. Great. Thank you for sharing that, Morgan. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your sharing and all your great tips and make it a great day. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. I want to thank Morgan Young for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. People have a tendency to have preconceived notions on what Gen Zers are up to and how they are living and conducting their lives. Morgan has smashed that mold. Morgan understands what is most important to her and has begun to craft a life that serves her and her passions. The content and the impact she is having is amazing, and we are excited to continue to watch her success. Morgan Young and everything she is involved in can be found across most social media platforms. All the contact information needed to find her can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.